0: WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: While you are considering these two gates and these two roads, counting the cost of what it will mean to become a disciple of Christ, while you're thinking that through, these false prophets come along and they tell you, everything is fine with you. There's no need to change. There's no need to repent. In fact, sin isn't even a problem.
2: The people the Bible calls false prophets generally like to stress the loving nature of Jesus. And indeed, He is the most loving person in the universe. But His love compelled Him to make some strong statements. Today on Verse by Verse, we will be looking at one of those strong statements. We find it in the Sermon on the Mount as described in the 7th chapter of Matthew. Pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff is our tour guide as we journey through the Bible together. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving in that role since 1981. Verse by verse is an extension of that ministry. Now, as we approach the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we come to the most frightening warning in the entire Bible. These words of Jesus are completely inconsistent with the popular picture of Jesus as a gentle, non-judgmental murder victim. And this fearsome warning by Jesus will help us to identify who is and who is not a false teacher. Let's begin our class. Here is Pastor Kreloff.
1: Let's open our Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our study today in the Sermon on the Mount, drawing to a close, and yet there are still such vital truths to unfold. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor, fig, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In all of my years of studying and teaching the Bible, I don't believe I have ever come across a more sobering and more terrifying passage of Scripture than the one that we have just read. Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to these verses as the most solemn words ever uttered in this world, not only by any man, but even by the Son of God himself. So why are these words considered more sobering, more terrifying, more solemn than anything else Jesus ever said. Because in these verses, the Lord tells us that there are many, Note, not just a few, but many, he says, who will one day stand before him, confidently expecting him to open up the doors of heaven and warmly welcome them. But to their eternal shock and dismay, they will hear Jesus say the most frightful and horrifying words one can ever hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, these individuals are expecting him to to warmly receive them into into heaven. But they're going to receive the shock of their lives as Christ will turn them away and then sentence them to hell. Now, I can't think of anything more terrifying than this. I, I, I can't. To believe all along that you're a true Christian, only to discover in the end when it is too late that you are lost and eternally doomed to hell. And what makes this even more startling is notice that these individuals have some association with the church, perhaps church members. And not merely members, but notice they are active church members, church members who were enthusiastically involved in a number of ministry activities. In verse 22, Jesus said that they they prophesied in his name. They'll defend themselves by saying, we prophesied in your name, meaning they taught they, they had some kind of teaching ministry. They were even involved in the miraculous. They cast out demons. They performed many miracles. But regardless of these activities, Jesus himself will tell them to depart, to get away from him. Why? Because although they carried on a lot of religious works and, and, and put a lot of effort into it, and it was done in his name, they'll say, he, they, he never had a relationship with them. They never had a relationship with him. They were never truly converted. And they evidenced this lack of regeneration, this lack of conversion, by the fact that they were completely disobedient to him. Their lives spoke of disobedience. That's what he meant when he said they practiced lawlessness. This was their lifestyle. This was their lifestyle. Now, who are these people that Jesus is referring to? Well, although there are many church members and people associated with churches who think that they're true Christians when, in fact, they are not, Based on the context of these verses, these individuals appear to, to not be your ordinary church member, but they appear to be the same ones that Christ has just warned us about in the verses prior to this. They appear to be the false prophets that he's been warning us about, those wolves in sheep's clothing, who although they, they claim to speak for God, that's why I believe they will plead their case before Christ and say that, that we prophesied in your name, we did speak in your name Though they claim to speak for him, they're really ambassadors of Satan. They're pseudo-Bible teachers. They don't represent Christ at all. Now, the reason that Jesus issued such a strong warning about these individuals, immediately following his statement in verse 13 about a narrow gate, Note, note with me, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter it. The reason that Jesus spoke and gave such a strong warning following this statement about the narrow gate is because these false prophets pose a serious threat to non-Christians. These individuals, Jesus will tell us, and we'll not even get to verse 21 following today. I'm just setting the the scene for that. These individuals pose such a great threat to non-Christians because they are doomed. They are on their way to hell, and they want to take non-Christians with them. And they do that by teaching them, error. And by telling them such things as don't go through the narrow gate, that's what the fundamentalists want you to believe. That's what evangelicals want you to believe. That's what conservative Orthodox Bible teachers will tell you, but that's not the way. Now, in order to grasp the rich meaning of these verses, it's important for us to remember where we are in Christ's sermon so we see everything in context. For three chapters, nearly three chapters, Jesus Christ has been giving his disciples specific instructions about righteous living, the true standards of righteousness in his kingdom, as opposed to the pseudo-standards of righteousness lived out by the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of, of his day. These scribes and Pharisees only had a a righteousness that was outward in appearance. It was not genuine in their hearts. They didn't really care about God. They cared about impressing people. That's all. That's what they were about. And so the Lord is telling his true followers that righteous standards in his kingdom are concerned with inward motives, inward intentions of the heart, as well as outward behavior. But do things for the right reasons, not to impress anybody. And then starting with verse 13 of chapter 7, the tone of this this sermon changes. The Lord turns to those in the crowd who he knew were not his disciples. They might have been interested in what he had to say. They were familiar with what he had to say, but they were not his true disciples. They had never committed themselves to Christ And he tells them how they can enter into a relationship with them. That is to say that he turns this sermon towards the end into an evangelistic sermon. Though the first part of it is not evangelistic at all. But the end of it is. He's giving really an an appeal, making an appeal to unbelievers, telling them how to enter into his kingdom. And he he compares entrance into his kingdom to a narrow gate that leads leads into a city to a narrow road that leads to eternal life. This narrow gate represents the exclusive message of the gospel that only those who repent of their sin and trust Christ alone to save them by his atoning work on the cross, only they can go to heaven. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And no one comes except by repentance and faith. But he tells us that just as there is a narrow gate that enters into his kingdom, and all who would enter have to go that way, so he also says there's a wide gate. A wide gate that opens up to a broad way that leads to eternal destruction. Now this is the road he tells us and and we've already studied this I'm just bringing you up to where we are now. This broad road is the road that the majority of mankind travel on. This is the broad way of the world. This is that road in which you can believe and do anything you want. Tolerance is the key word. We tolerate any view. There are no narrow standards on this road anything goes. Now Jesus said that these are the two choices that he presents to those who are familiar with his teaching, but have never committed themselves to following him. Now, this is certainly applicable to us, certainly applicable to those of you in our audience today who have never committed yourselves to Christ. I know there are people who attend our church regularly who sit week after week and listen to the teaching of the New Testament, especially these studies on the Sermon on the Mount, and yet they have, they have never entered The narrow gate of salvation. They have never repented of their sin. They have never trusted Christ to save them. And to those of you in that situation, Jesus says that you must choose, either continue on the broad road, but he warns us it it is a road that leads to hell. It stops and then empties you out into hell. Or, Or you can enter his kingdom by Repenting, which means forsaking your sin and trusting him as your savior and king. And here's where these false prophets come in. And this is why I wanted to, to take in the whole context. Here's where the false prophets come in and why they pose such a great danger to us. While you are considering... These two gates and these two roads, counting the cost of what it will mean to become a disciple of Christ. If you come to him, what will that mean in your life? Thinking through the ramifications of of what, what it will mean if you repent of your sin. Will your family disown you? Will it cost you your job? Will your friends abandon you? Will it mean something financially in your life? What will it cost you to become one of his followers? While you're thinking that through, these false prophets come along and they tell you through either messages or books that they've written, they're on radio, they're on television, and they tell you everything is fine with you. There's no need to change. There's no need to repent. In fact, sin isn't even a problem. Sin, what, what is that? All you really need to change is your self-image. Get a more positive view of yourself. Your esteem is the issue. And just be sincere. That's all that matters. Live any way you want because God is love and he's tolerant, and he just wants you to be happy. The road to heaven, they'll tell you, is not narrow in spite of what those Bible thumpers say. It's not narrow, it's not restrictive, it's broad, and it's spacious, and there's plenty of room for anything you want to believe. Any way you want to behave, just be sincere. That's all. Now that, folks, is why they're of such danger to unbelievers. And they're of such danger, too, to believers, too, who get confused by hearing them. See, this is the message that most people want to hear, right? Because this is a message that brings comfort. This is a message that makes you feel good about yourself. This is a message that makes no demands upon you. This is a message in which you don't need to give up anything. There's nothing that needs to change. But while you are listening to this message of tolerance, this message of, of being broad-minded, the Lord Jesus issues a strong warning to you. And a strong warning says this. Don't listen to men who say those things. Who speak like this. Because they're false prophets. They are liars. They are deceivers. And though they speak of peace and comfort and security. Their message is a message of false peace. Their message is a message of false comfort and false security. Now, as we discovered. Last week, Jesus not only tells us in general to beware of these false prophets, but he becomes quite specific as he gives us three important truths about all false prophets. He will tell us, number one, that they are dangerous, and he'll tell us why they're so dangerous. And we looked at this last week, and I'll review quickly this week. Secondly, he will tell us that false teachers can be detected and it'll tell us how we can detect them. And then Lord willing, next week we'll look at how they are doomed and why they are doomed. And those who follow them are doomed. Now, as we already discovered last week, the first important truth that Jesus teaches us about false teachers is that they're, they're dangerous. They're, they're, they're not neutral. They're quite dangerous and they're dangerous because they are so hard to spot and to detect They're hard to recognize. He says that in verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The reason they're so difficult and dangerous, difficult to detect and dangerous for us is because they they come disguised as, note this, Christian leaders. Christian leaders. Remember what we said last week, the sheep in wolves' clothing. It's just another way of saying that, that they wear... Wool garments of a shepherd. That was the garment, that was the attire, that was, if you will, the uniform of a shepherd to wear woolen garments. So they're really shepherds in wolves' clothing. And the reason for masquerading as Christian leaders and masquerading as shepherds is because they don't want anyone to suspect who they really are. They have a goal. They have an objective with you. Jesus tells us that their ultimate goal is to spiritually destroy you, to devour you. That's why the Lord referred to them as ravenous or or savage, ferocious wolves. They want to tear you apart. They want to devour you like a literal, physical wolf would do to a literal, physical sheep. And they do this by encouraging you. They want to devour you by just encouraging you to, to not change. Stay the way you are. Stay on the broad road that leads to destruction. And here's how they do it. Disguised as shepherds. They sneak into Christian fellowships, into Christian circles, and they gain a hearing from very undiscerning people. Using biblical words, often combined, I might add, with impressive psychological terms, they give motivational-type speeches. They pump you up. You hear one of these men, and you really feel good about yourself. And they do this so that you won't see a need in your life to change You won't feel a need to enter the narrow gate by repentance and turning to Christ for salvation. And remember what we said last week. This is critical. And I want to repeat it again. It is critical to understand something about these individuals. The subtlety and deceitfulness of of a false prophet's message isn't so much in what he says, although you do have to listen closely, but oftentimes it's what he leaves out his vagueness. False teachers are notorious for being doctrinally unclear and very indistinct in what they teach. They, they usually don't openly deny the essential doctrines of Christianity. That would be too obvious. Instead, they just ignore them. You'll never hear a false teacher speak about key biblical truths that explain salvation, such as man's depravity. His lostness, the need for repentance, submission to Christ, lordship, God's holiness, Christ's atonement, words like that and doctrines like that. These truths have no place in their message of love, tolerance, acceptance, and, and false piety and just do unto others as you want them to do to you. And there are many gullible people, even, even some very naive Christians who gravitate to teachers like this and even financially support them. And why? Why? For all the wrong reasons. Because they're impressed with their dynamic speaking abilities. Their charismatic personalities. Their sometimes high academic credentials. And their use of evangelical vocabulary. But, but don't be naive. Because if you are, you'll be deceived into thinking that he's a genuine man of God. When he's really just a ferocious wolf who's determined to get you. Just disguise us as a shepherd. But even though... He may be hard to detect. Jesus tells us it's not impossible to detect them, and that, that moves us on to the second important truth that the Lord gave about false prophets. First of all, they're dangerous because they're disguised, and they want to destroy you. Secondly, he tells us they can be detected, and he tells us this in verse, verses 16 through 18. You'll know them, he said, and that word know means to recognize them. You can recognize them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, Nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So after first comparing false prophets to savage wolves, the Lord now compares these pseudo-Bible teachers to trees. And for good reason. Though a wolf can disguise himself as a shepherd and fool some people, it is absolutely impossible for a tree to hide its identity forever. He can't hide it for long. Eventually, the fruit coming from a tree will reveal its true nature and its true essence. This is the reason that Jesus said it was impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit, just as it's impossible for a bad tree to produce good fruit. And the primary point, folks, that he was making here is that trees are always recognized by their fruit, so false teachers are always recognized by their fruit. The things that they produce in their lives, now this is where we we stopped last week, but I just want you to know that this is the main point to these verses. In fact, Jesus emphasized this by beginning this section in verse sixteen, saying you 'll know them by their fruits, and then he closed this section in verse twenty, so then you 'll know them by their fruits that 's the point. How can you know who 's a false teacher? And who's not? Now, somebody told me recently that some of the folks are asking, well, why doesn't he mention names? Well, you needed to be here Sunday night for our series in Second Peter. Many names are mentioned. In this series, I, I just want to emphasize these truths that are in the text. You can go back to the Second Peter series and get some names on false teachers. But here, we want to emphasize on how can you detect them? What are the things that you're to look for? What are the principles There are three kinds of fruit that every teacher produces, whether they're good teachers or bad teachers, whether they're true valid teachers, sound Bible teachers, or false teachers. Good sound teachers will always produce good sound fruit in their lives, and false teachers will always produce fruit that is bad. So what are the specific areas that you and I need to be looking at as we're exposed to various teachers? First of all, there are three, and I would encourage you to write this down. First of all, we are to judge all teachers by the fruit of their lives, their character, their conduct. It was John Calvin who once said, nothing is more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. Absolutely right. There is nothing more difficult to counterfeit than true godly virtue. See, true Christian leaders, like all true Christians, reflect a radical change in the depth of their beings because of God's grace in their lives. They have been changed from natural men that they once were into those who have received a new divine nature and are constantly being conformed more and more into Christ-like character. They have a new nature, but what takes place is, is what we call progressive sanctification. They are being constantly changed into Christ-like character more and more.
2: That is a characteristic of every genuine Christ follower. Leaders and teachers go through the same process of growth that the rest of us experience. We will learn about the other ways to discern whether or not a teacher is a false prophet when we return on the next verse-by-verse. Thank you for being in class with us today. Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is guiding us through the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 27 years at Lakeside and we at Verse by Verse Ministries are blessed to be a part of bringing his practical messages to you through this radio station. If you have been blessed, please let the station manager know about it. Oh, and by the way, we are a listener supported ministry dependent on God's provision through his people to remain on the air. You can find more information as well as audio downloads of Pastor Steve's messages at versebyverseradio.org. While you are there, you might like to sign up for our free podcasting service and our newsletter. Both are free of charge. If you would like to help keep these classes on the air, you will find a link at the top of our webpage with some helpful biblical information about giving. The page also has contact information in case God is leading you to support these broadcasts. The web address once more is versebyverseradio.org. I recently read about a conductor on a train that was about to leave the station. He began to check the passenger's tickets and the very first one he looked at caused him to say to the passenger, my friend, it looks like you are on the wrong train. The passenger replied that the ticket agent had told him to board that particular train. After a little discussion, the conductor decided to check with the agent and get this sorted out so he could get busy checking the rest of the tickets. The conductor soon learned that he was the one on the wrong train. When the leader is lost, how can his followers hope to get on the right track? Let's all be here for the next verse by verse, and learn how we can identify the false teachers who would lead us astray.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. Faith Talk five seventy W.